0: Thank you, and once again, good day to students and teachers of the Word of God. Our lesson this week is another branch of soteriology that is called sanctification. And as we said before, these great words in the New Testament that deal with the doctrinal subjects of salvation nearly always end in T-I-O-N. The lack of preaching about these great biblical words is proof positive in the Laodicean church age that those who profess to believe the Bible no longer believe it, and very few of them teach it or preach it. The uh, fact that the average saved child of God is unfamiliar with these words shows they have not been given to him or taught to him by the modern so-called faith ministry. While the modern carnal Christian, the baby in Christ, has been bragging about his gifts and this and that and so forth and so on, he has simply ignored and slighted and stepped on and shelved and ditched the great truths of biblical Christianity. These have to do with expiation, propitiation, sanctification, justification, imputation, redemption, regeneration, and adoption. So when we talk about these great truths, we're talking about Bible truths that deal with the doctrine of the Word of God. And as we've said many times in this broadcast, our job here is to give you what the Scriptures say about the Scriptures and not what they are merely presumed to teach. There are people who pick up the Bible and find a verse in it that they think backs up something they believe and then swear that that verse teaches what they believe. That isn't the purpose of real Bible study, nor is that the method of real Bible study. The method of real Bible study is to see what all the Scriptures say about all the Scriptures. And, of course, that is our habit here from our youth up, as the expression goes. For example, when we teach what the Bible says about the gifts of the Holy Spirit in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, we never take the two out of the list we think we have and then try to prove the Scripture backs them up. That's what you call private interpretation. And Simon Peter calls it resting the Scripture to your own destruction. First of all, we read the gifts in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and compare them with the gifts mentioned in Romans 14 and 15. Don't you think that's rather wise to compare Scripture with Scripture before jumping in over your head? The next thing we do is compare them with the gifts to the body of Christ in the form of people instead of individual gifts. Ephesians chapter 5. Don't you think it's wise to consult the Scripture before you plunge in and don't know the depth of the water? For example, if we're talking about these gifts, we immediately look down the list of gifts and find which ones are signs and which ones aren't. Because we know the signs are for Israel, therefore the apostolic signs are given to apostles, and we were told this by Paul in Second Corinthians chapter 12, verse 12. Once finding out the apostolic signs are for Israel, we find these signs mentioned in Mark 16 and note what they are. We come then back to the list in 1 Corinthians 12 and learn immediately that every sign given to Israel by an apostle during the Acts of the Apostles ceases when the Acts of the Apostles ceases because the apostolic ministry ceases. We learn this from going to Revelation chapter 2 verse 2 that the people who claim to be apostles and have the apostolic gifts are said to be liars. Revelation 2 verse 2. Therefore, when we realize the devil is a liar, Acts, or, or uh, John chapter 8, we turn to Second Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1 to 7, and Second Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 1 to 10, and we learn in the last days when Satan comes, he has the signs given to Israel. And of course, in Second Corinthians chapter 11, they're called counterfeits. Now, this is what we mean by comparing Scripture with Scripture, to find out what the Scriptures say about the Scriptures. And this is the difference between solid, sane, serious, sound, Sensible Bible study and this erratic, foolish, modern, emotional nonsense that passes off as Bible study. Our section this week is on sanctification. Now this is a very important subject. Hebrews twelve fourteen says, Follow peace with all men and holiness, without which no man shall see the Lord. In regeneration, your nature was changed. In justification, your standing was changed. In adoption, your position was changed. Now, in sanctification, your character is changed. And we should never confuse sanctification with regeneration, adoption, redemption, propitiation, justification, imputation, or any of the rest of them. And that's what I meant when I said the modern Christian has so little Bible study of a serious nature that he can't even understand the terms being talked about where they deal with salvation. It's a strange thing, isn't it? We're dealing in a modern country where you begin to talk about the doctrines of salvation, remembering that all Scripture is given in by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, that the people cannot discuss the simplest thing from the New Testament on doctrine. It's a strange thing. Sanctification is the fruit of a justified life. For example, Jesus Christ said in John 10:36, Say ye of him whom the Father are sanctified. And Christ said, For their sakes I sanctify Myself, in John seventeen nineteen, Simon Peter says, Sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. Sanctification is the will of God for every believer, First Thessalonians 4, 3. The subject of holiness, or sanctification, is mentioned 1,066 times in the Bible. Now the meaning of sanctification. Sanctification is never regeneration, it's never salvation, it's never justification, it's never regeneration. It's never adoption. It's never redemption. It is a peculiar Bible word that the Bible uses that has a meaning biblically in its own context, unique to its own setting. Sanctification for the child of God is the work of the Holy Spirit and the Bible. Christ said in John 17 17, Sanctify them with the truth, by word is truth. So when people talk about being sanctified after they're saved and think about it apart from the Word of God, they're not telling you the truth. The Word of God, John 17:17, 17, 17, is one of the means of sanctification. The basic meaning of sanctification is separation. Psalm 4, 3 says, But know the Lord hath set apart him that is godly for himself. That is, the born-again believer has been set apart by God for the Lord to use as he desires. The biblical meaning of sanctification is to be set apart by God, to be set apart for God, to be set apart from sin, to be set apart for a holy life. Paul says in 2 Timothy 2.21, If a man therefore purge himself from these, he shall be a vessel unto honor, sanctified, and meet for the master's use, and prepared to every good work. The Bible speaks of sanctifying the tabernacle and its contents, the men, buildings, fields, firstborn, the temple, the priests, and the nation in the Old Testament. However, for believers in the New Testament, it carries a twofold meaning. Separation from evil, that's negative, and separation unto God, and, of course, that's positive. Now, the author of sanctification is the Trinity. God the Father sanctifies in First Thessalonians 5, 23. The very God of peace sanctify you wholly, and I pray, God, your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless under the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The believer is sanctified by God the Son, Ephesians 5, 26. That he, Christ, might sanctify and cleanse it, that is the church, with the washing of water by the word. Sanctification is by the Holy Spirit, Second 2 Thessalonians 2.13, because God hath from the beginning chosen you to salvation through sanctification of the Spirit. Holiness then is not an achievement to be accomplished, but a gift to be accepted. And the use of this gift will increase our sanctification. This is a gift that you often hear spoken about by the people who brag about their gifts, because most of the people who brag about their gifts are in fellowship and company with liberalistic translations modernistic preachers, Bible-denying Christians, Bible-perverting Christians, and words that play worldly music and have worldly friends and keep company with worldly Christians. Now the means of sanctification, first of all, by the Bible itself. John seventeen seventeen says, Sanctify them through thy truth, thy word is truth. David said in the Old Testament, Wherewith shall a young man cleanse his way? by taking heed thereto according to thy word. To be sanctified, you're going to have to spend much time with the Bible. The Bible purifies, and the Bible cleanses. For after all, it is the Holy Bible that reveals sin. In the New Testament, for example, there are twenty-one lists of sins, with a total of two hundred and two sins, of which a hundred and three are different. That is, there are a hundred and three different sins mentioned in the New Testament but have nothing to do with smoking, or drinking, or dancing, or killing, or stealing, or lying. A hundred and three of them. Don't you find that interesting? Those sins like laziness, indifference, overeating, undersleeping, worrying, doubting your salvation. All right, sanctification is by the Word of God, first of all. Secondly, it's by the blood. We read in Hebrews 13:12, Wherefore Jesus also, so that he might sanctify the people with his own blood, suffered without the gate. The Word reveals our sin, the blood cleanses it away. The result is sanctification. We're sanctified by chastisement. In Hebrews chapter 12, we read, For our human parents, verily for a few days, chastened us after their own pleasure, but he, that's God, for our prophet, that we might be made partakers of His holiness. All right, we're sanctified by yielding to God. Paul said in Romans 6, 19, Even so now yield your members, servants to righteousness, under holiness. And in 2 Corinthians 7, 1, Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves. You yourself can be an instrument in your own sanctification. Let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and the spirit, perfecting wholeness in the fear of God. Then we too have a part in sanctification. Our part is seeking out sin in our lives, judging it, casting it away, preparing for cleansing, and availing ourselves of the prayer promises and the holy word of God. Daily, the child of God must appropriate Jesus Christ as his sanctification. Daily, you must claim his holiness, his faith, his love, and his grace. The secret of a holy life not what they call a good or a nice life. That's the political connotation of the modern Christian international socialist. The secret of a holy life, that is, a life in fellowship with God, is the continuous appropriation of the Savior's holy life to yourself. That is, your degree of sanctification is in relation to your appropriation of the Lord by His Holy Spirit and by His blessed book. Now, on sanctification, there are three tenses in sanctification past, present, and future. First of all, we have an instantaneous sanctification that occurred in the past. First Corinthians 6.11 said, But such were some of you, but ye are washed, ye are sanctified, ye are justified in the name of the Lord. You will notice in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 8 to 12, that the moment you trust Christ as Savior, you are sanctified once and all, finally and forever, by the death of Christ dying on the cross. So the first work of sanctification is instantaneous and occurred in the past. That is, these pastors speak of sanctification as a past experience with washing and justification. Then the second tense of sanctification is the present tense, or progressive. For example, you're told in the first Thessalonians, This is the will of God, even your sanctification. And again, Christ says, Sanctify them with the truth. That's a day-by-day sanctification. Our mirror for seeing our dirt and uncleanness of the Word of God, which reveals sin. The Holy Spirit does not reveal all of our unchrist likeness at one time, but gradually from time to time. And the moment, day by day, that the Holy Spirit, through the Word of God, reveals something to us, we should seek cleansing and continuously pursue a path of progressive sanctification. Finally, we have not merely the past and present sanctification, but the future or final sanctification. We'll be reading in 1 Thessalonians 5:23. The very God of peace sanctify you holy, and I pray God your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless on the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, faithful as He that calls you, who also will do it. That is, someday we will be completely holy, without one grace missing, mature and perfect, without one sin. And this great and terrific experience will be ours when the Lord Jesus Christ comes and changes our bodies and then we shall be like Him, 1 John 3.2. This, by the way, is your predestination. There are only two times in the Bible the term predestination occurs, and neither time is it connected with salvation. The first time it occurs in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4 to 6, it is in regard to the fact that once you have been already saved, your predestination was to be adopted as God's son. The only other time the term occurs, it had nothing to do with salvation, but referred to the fact that once you were saved and had received Christ, your final destination was to be conformed to the image of His Son. This, then, is the final end of completed sanctification. Complete sanctification means made just like Jesus Christ. Beloved, now we are the sons of God, it doth not yet a we shall be, but we know when He shall appear, we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is." That is, we're pressing on into future perfection, Philippians 3, 12 to 14, while daily perfecting our earthly progressive sanctification. Now, it is the utmost importance for the serious student of the Word of God who believes the Bible and takes it seriously and studies to see what the Scriptures say about the Scripture. It is the utmost importance that he understand these three tenses of salvation and these three tenses of sanctification. For example, when Christ died on the cross and you trust him as your Savior dying in your place, at that moment you are saved from the penalty of sin. Hell. Day by day, as you live with the Lord and work with the Lord and appropriate the Word of God, you are being saved from the power of sin. That's progressive. That's now. And someday when Jesus Christ comes, you'll have a perfect sinless body and be exactly like Him, and then you'll be saved from the presence of sin. Now do you understand these three tenses? The Lord has delivered us, the Lord is delivering us, and the Lord will deliver us. The unsaved elder who tries to preach uh, the teaching of Acts chapter 2 in any form always has trouble with this part of the Bible. He can never get it through his head that salvation and sanctification are in pretenses. And i will always kind of make you think that your future salvation depends upon what you're doing now. It doesn't. It depends on what you did with Jesus Christ. The man who gets his Bible all scrambled up and messing around with Acts, chapter 2, and doesn't what really he's talking about about half the time, that man can never get this thing straight, The salvation from the penalty of sin is in the past, salvation from the power of sin is in the present, and salvation from the presence of sin is in the future. Many of these poor souls trying to work their way to heaven have talked themselves into thinking that they've gotten rid of the presence of sin in this life. That's future. You don't get out of the presence of sin, son, till they put you to bed with a shovel, or else the uppertaker gets you instead of the undertaker. Sanctification in the Bible then is in three tenses. That if you believe the scripture, comparing scripture with scripture, studying the scripture, instead of taking the verse out of context to prove what you've been taught. And that is why we call this program a theological seminar. These are advanced lessons, seminar, in doctrinal matters, theological matters. And these matters here deal not with what somebody thinks is so because somebody quoted a verse. These seminars deal with what the Bible says about the Bible verses that comment in the Bible setting. In the Bible setting in which the biblical verse occur, the Bible clearly states three tenths of salvation past, 1 Corinthians 6 and Hebrews 10, present, John chapter 17, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, future, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, and 1 John chapter 3. Now that's it. That's it. That is the truth of the matter, the whole truth of the matter, nothing but the truth of the matter. Any attempt for you to get to heaven by living a holy life or sanctify yourself is going to end in a lake of fire because your salvation doesn't depend upon your present progress in sanctification, but upon your past sanctification at the cross of Calvary. Any attempt you have to get rid of sin, all the sin in this life, and perfect holiness in the fear of God, and make yourself think that you can form an image of God in this life, is doomed to hallucination and demoniac possession, because that is your goal in the future for which you are predestined. And this explains why we have such godless, depraved, corrupt biblical teaching in America today where the man is quoting Scripture without telling the truth one time he says it. One bunch of people is going up and down and trying to make you think that your progressive growth in grace will merit salvation, where it will not. And the other group are trying to make you think that you can be just like Jesus Christ before you die, which you can't. Where did this come from? This comes from straight out and out willful, deliberate rejection of the revealed truth of the Holy Bible. That's why the people who teach these things always use more than one version. Have you noticed that? Every man trying to mess you up on biblical truth has to pick up some other version to change the truth and make it line up with what he thinks. The man who rejects the truth will eventually try to find some version that backs up his rejection of the truth of God. And the truth of God in these past is that sanctification is past, Hebrews 10, 1 Corinthians 6, and present, 1 Thessalonians 4, John 17, and future, 1 Thessalonians 5, 1 John 3. Now, the best way to check that out is get you a Bible and open it and read it. You'll be amazed at the light that a King James Bible throws on modern preaching. Now, the reason for our sanctification is simple. In John 17:19, the Lord Jesus Christ, praying His high priestly prayer to God the Father, said, And for their sakes I sanctify myself, that they also may be sanctified. Well, if Jesus Christ needed to be set apart for God's glory, then certainly we need to be sanctified too, right? How could He, the Holy Son of God, be made more holy? Well, the answer is found in Romans 15:3: For even Christ pleased not Himself. He was always pressing on for something better. Or is obeying the Father in every particular and is seeking more ways to obey the Father in every way possible. Therefore, it is certainly clear that if we're a disciple of Christ, we're to press on, ever on, ever upward, to be more like Him, the evil of His will more and more, to search the Bible for His will more and more each day, and instead of stopping with some ridiculous nonsense about exercising gifts, we should be busy about the Father's business, finding out what His will for our lives is, and practicing it. Now, that's the place the modern Christian gets into. The modern Christian gets stunted, and instead of going on to Acts-Romans Galatians. he stops in Acts chapter 2 and skits Romans and land in First Corinthians 14 and spend the rest of his life whining and complaining about the teaching of real Bible doctrine like it was the unpardonable sin or something because it doesn't back up the nonsense he's propagating. You're to grow in grace. You don't stop with Acts 2. The apostles didn't. Simon Peter never once again in his life preached Acts 2 to anybody. There isn't a case in record in the rest of the Bible where Simon Peter ever told anybody to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. Not one case. He went on and grew in grace and knowledge and learned from Paul the gospel of the grace of God and said in Acts 15 that a man is saved by grace, period. You need to grow. Now the only way you'll grow is by studying that book. You will never go by taking little Bible study, little Bible course lessons, which take the Word of God out of context and make it say something it doesn't say. You yourself are going to have to get in that book and find out what God says and what God thinks about what He said and about what He thought, and no other cure for it than that. Uh, you need to grow and go onward for the Lord and grow in grace and knowledge of Christ. You can always tell the immature baby in Christ by how He takes opposition. That's one of the best ways. Now, a baby is egotistical. And a little boy-girl, four, five, six, and seven, thinks about nothing but himself all day long and what he likes and what he doesn't like. Mama, I'm hot. Mama, I'm tired. Mommy, it's cold. Daddy, give me something to eat. When did we get here? Close the door. Open the door. Close the window. Open the window. That's the child. Now, you can always tell these spiritual babies by the fact they're always located in... Either before the doctrines of salvation were revealed, Acts 2, or they're hanging around the most carnal church in Europe, the church at Corinth. As a matter of fact, these Corinthian Christians in 1 Corinthians chapter 14 were called carnal babies, 1 Corinthians 2, 1 Corinthians 3, and woe be to the immature carnal baby who condemned the teaching of the Word of God just on the fact that he himself is a Corinthian Christian the Corinthian Christians were the most carnal babies in the entire New Testament. Now I realize some of you people don't believe that, because you don't look at a Bible long enough to know one page from another. But the only people in the New Testament of the church at Thessalonica, the church at Galatia, the church at Philippi, the church at Ephesus, the church at Colossia, the church at Smyrna, the church at Corinth, the church at Pergamus, the church at Thyatira, the church at Sardis, the only ones who were called immature, carnal spiritual babies were the Corinthian church members that were bragging about 1 Corinthians 14. Now, you know why these carnal babies remain carnal babies? They refuse to accept any biblical truth that straighten them out in their false doctrines. You know how you can tell those babies? Every time you cross them or God crosses them, they like to have a fit. That's how you tell the baby. By his temper tantrum, you kick his kitty car or kick his tricycle, and he likes to have apoplexy. For example, these little carnal babies get sick. Do they say with Paul all things work together for good to them that love God? No. Do they say our present light affliction which is but for a moment work of a far more exceeding weight of glory? No. Do they say I reckon the troubles or sorrows of the present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory it shall be revealed in us? No. Do they say that I glory mine my infirmities? the power of Christ may rest upon me? No. What do they do? They try to get healed and get mad at themselves or mad at God or mad at the devil or mad at the healer if they don't get healed. Or they get mad at some preacher who's preaching what I just preached and accusing him of not having faith and destroying their faith. They're babies. The Corinthian Christian is outstanding for his carnality and his childishness. 1 Corinthians 2, 3, and 4. Read it. Don't you get mad at me, you little spore brat. Get out your Bible and read it. And grow up. That's what Simon Peter used to say. Grow up, brother. Grow in grace and knowledge of Him. All right, the results of sanctification. First of all, we have Christ's righteousness. Past tense. Hebrews ten fourteen. In this life, present tense, we have the fruit of holiness. Romans six twenty 2. And the final result of sanctification is conformity to the image of Jesus Christ. Is there a longing in your soul for holiness instead of gifts? Good. Is there a longing in your soul for sanctification instead of gifts? Good. If there a longing in your soul for purity and power instead of gifts? Excellent. It is more blessed to give than to receive. And if all you're doing is receiving gifts, you're a carnal baby under the Christmas tree. Do you long for Christ's likeness instead of counterfeit apostles? Good. Do you longer for a greater conformity to the image of God's Son instead of trying to beat some of this time talking about faith? good. Confess your sin. Your need to him, confess that, and he'll satisfy the deepest longing of your heart. The price is to be willing to part with sin and uncleanness, and especially uncleanness and impurity and doctrine and false teaching and perversion of the truth of God. Live a life of implicit obedience to the light given to you from the pages of the Word of God, instead of a still small voice that might be a demon. If you fail, immediately confess your sin to God, judge it, and He'll restore you to fellowship. Resist the devil, he'll flee from you, James 4, 7. If you want to live the sanctified life, be faithful in regular sessions of Bible reading, prayer, witnessing, and living for others, and ministering to others. Do not look within. Don't be discouraged. Look up, and as the Bible says, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, or as Paul said, faithless he that calleth you, who also will do it. Blessed are they that thirst and hunger after righteousness, for they shall be filled, and not filled with phony, apostolic, counterfeit gifts to impress people with their carnality. They'll be filled with the Holy Spirit of God, which will drive you to your knees in prayer drive you the word of God for the truth, and drive you out in the world of unsaved people to witness and testify to them of the saving, redeeming grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and His shed blood on Calvary's cross. May the Lord bless you, and good day.